so much professional learning for teachers is embedded in experimenting in the classroom based on good ideas you've got from a variety of places. In other words, you try something in the classroom, okay? And from there, lots of learning can flow. Can flow. And the other thing I was talking about yesterday is that once you start experimenting, there is interaction between knowledge, what you know, what you're beginning to know, your practice, <coughs> and your values. And as soon as you start to learn by experimenting, usually there will be some emotional component to that. If it's going well, yes, but also if it's not going well, there is an emotional component usually. Right, a little reminder. And just thinking about what you were learning yesterday, potentially, I'm fairly certain that a fair number of you yesterday, your emotions were engaged in a variety of ways. Yes, thank you. That's a bit of participation. doesn't help. Okay, so let me go on. Oh, I just need to pick up this one because we kind of ran out of time. You have got this on the stick. Um, and this really comes out of the, uh, this guy's work. And you've got an article by him on the stick. Yes. yes. Michael Arrow. That's pronounced Arrow. And he has made the important distinction between what he calls modes of cognition. There are things that you do in the instant, in the classroom, lots of the things you do and say are just like that. You don't get a chance to think about them, you just do them. They are embedded in you. And that's part of that issue that I was talking about yesterday, the notion of distorts. Okay? They're um, kind of habitual behaviour. And the feature of classrooms that represents habitual behaviour most is how you talk and interact with kids. The really difficult thing about classroom talk, the thing that we're really stuck in, is that teacher's questioning. Teacher asks a closed question, gets a response from the kid and evaluates it. And then asks another question to which there's a right answer kid answers it, teacher evaluates. That is okay as a style of teacher questioning, but not if you do it all of the time. If that's the dominant style of classroom talk, that's a problem. And it's largely because it's habitual. Okay? And part of experimenting is trying to get out of that habit. So he's making the point that a lot of what we do is habitual. We don't get the chance to think, is that the right thing to do? There isn't the time. There's rapid stuff, the quick decisions you get to make, which you do get a moment to go, oh, should I do this, should I do that? And then the bit that we really get the chance to reflect upon is the deliberative analytical stuff, like today and yesterday, where you really get the chance to sit down and think a bit. But it's another matter to translate that thinking into that type of thinking and behaviour. Getting the connection between 
that and that is really hard. So you can have the best intentions of the world in the world, but possibly things don't change in the classroom. Has anybody got habitual behaviour? Well, I have. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the importance of learning cultures is that you get the best chance to change some of the things you want to change. And that the whole institution gets a chance to change the things that they think it's important to change. So, I want to start with this, because I found it really interesting. Maybe you will, but I want to start with this. Just very simple. Um, these are not exact opposites, but they seem to work okay. Uh, I'm suggesting to you that in some schools there is, and this seemed to come up yesterday, an emphasis on embedding some kind of notion of our existing practice, our school's way of doing things, or, if you like, what a good Ofsted lesson looks like. So in some schools that dominates. Not a bad thing by any means. There are other schools in which the press is on developing innovative practice. Definitely decided that we want something different to what we've got in the classroom, in the curriculum, and as learning outcomes. And of course you can be somewhere in between. Okay? Right. And of course different people can be in different places. And on here, we've got a notion of just working in isolation. At the other end, working collaboratively, sharing knowledge. So I've used that phrase, sharing knowledge, but you could put working collaboratively. And I'd just like you to have a few minutes on your own, thinking about your context, and then start talking to people around you. In your school, you might say in our school generally, do, how much do we work in, where are we on that line? Do we work in isolation? Do we share knowledge a lot? And are we about establishing some really standard of practice? Or are we really going for developing something new and innovative that takes our learning outcomes somewhere else? And you can play around that a lot because you can think about this in terms of time. Where were we a year ago? Where are we now? Where do we want to be? So you can have a a dot or a zone for where we are now and one for where you would wish to be. Clearly you can also talk about different scales. If you're a secondary school, where might I put a kind of whole school average, but where would I put my department? Where would I put my practice? In a primary or a first school, different year teams could be different. Okay? So it's up to you how you play about with the, that bit down there. Think about yourself to begin with, just a few minutes, and then start comparing with others. Because, just before we do that, what's culture? Culture is the way we do things around here. That's what, essentially, culture is the way we do things around here. And this will tell you a little bit about the culture and the subcultures within your school.